faithful unto us today that he allowed people to come in excuse me <clears throat> it said this that then Joshua oh, I just turned to the wrong passage there we go it says that it was only in order that the generations of people of Israel might know war and to teach him war that God allowed nations to rise up and pursue them Omar just talked about the pursuit of God in the way that he pursues us. Well, in that same way, the people pursued Israel. It says the nations that the Lord left, that, that he tested them so that they could experience war. And I thought, Lord, why do you want to teach us war? I feel like if there's anything that we know today, if there's anything that we know today, it's war. I mean, think about that. Aren't we excellent at name-calling? Man, we're fantastic with a battle of words, aren't we? I mean, think of the things that you said to your spouse when you're in a fight. Boy, we know exactly what to say to cut to the heart and make someone feel worthless. We live in a world that knows war. Have you turned on the TV channel recently? It seems like we know exactly what to say and how to say it. We know exactly what to do and how to do it. We know the threat of war is a real thing. And I thought, God, how did you want to teach your people war? It didn't make sense. And so this is what happened. Um, last week I was up in the mountains, and I decided to climb a mountain. I love sitting on top of a mountain and hiking and, and following things. And so to get ready, I packed my backpack full of stuff. I put books to get closer to God in here. I had my computer just in case I needed notes for today and needed to write something down. I had two bottles of water. I had snacks. I even had a Bluetooth speaker so I could let the Jesus music sound all over the place. And I started walking up this steep mountain. And after about 200 meters, I'm exhausted. I am so tired. I'm thinking, I know I'm out of shape. But this is silly. So I'm drinking my water. I'm like, Lord, you, you're teaching me to pray. God, help me not die out in the middle of nowhere. And so I've got my backpack on, and I'm, I'm going. I go about another, I don't know, quarter of a mile up the mountain. <clears throat> and the elevation change is about 1,500 feet or something that I'm hiking up. And, and I'm thinking, whew, in Houston, the air is not this thin. This is... God, when I get to the top of that mountain, I'm going to praise you, but I hope I make it, God. So I'm going through my water. I'm having snacks, and I do something crazy. I sit down, and I take off my backpack. And I thought, oh, Lord, that was my problem. It was like a praise Jesus moment and a you're an idiot moment. Have you ever had one of those? Because I thought, God, praise Lord, I am not that out of shape. Praise Jesus. I really can't breathe. I'm not going to die on the way up. Praise Jesus. You're an idiot, David, because you don't understand. You are coming to spend time with the Lord, to spend time in prayer. Why do you need three books? Why do you need your computer to wrestle why do you need all the junk in that bag? Like one thing of water, maybe. But I came thinking I knew how to war. I knew what I was. I'm a preacher. I've got a master's degree in war for Jesus. And yet here I am 
carrying a backpack full of worthless things to enter a battle of prayer. I thought, Lord, I wonder if we've forgotten how to war. I wonder if that's part of the problem that we fight and face in our day-to-day life. We have strategies and books, and, and we have great friends who tell us what we want to hear. Amen? Like, that's why we talk to our friends, so they can reaffirm how we're feeling. We have all these ideas, but do we know how to war? Listen to what Romans chapter 12, verse 12 says. It says, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, and be constant in prayer. Isn't that interesting? Right after tribulation, he says, be in prayer. In Exodus chapter 14, verse 14, it says, the Lord fights for you. You just need to be still. I don't think God's playing a game of red light, green light with us. Amen? I don't think God's saying the way to beat the enemy is to be so still that he doesn't see you, that he passes over. He's saying, I will be your victor. You need to be still. Over and over in Scripture, we are told and reminded that we are in a war and the battle is fought one prayer at a time. Now, this isn't new. I mean, if I were to ask you to raise your hand, and I won't do that this week, but if I were to ask you to raise your hand saying, hey, who's prayed this week? I bet most of us in the room would say, I could, yeah, I got my prayer pen right here. In fact, I... I pray every day this week, Pastor. I'm excellent. We might think that we understand prayer, and I'm not saying that you don't, but if you don't, let's walk through it today because here's what I'm afraid of, that we've become prayer warriors who think that prayer is a grenade. Like we pull the pin, throw it up to heaven, and God's going to do what he's going to do, and we keep walking. Have you ever been there? He said, God, I'm going to pray for my friend in struggle. And so right there you say, God, be with my friend who's struggling. And then you never think about it again. Like, did my duty. Where's the be still and know when we launch a prayer to heaven and walk away? Maybe some of you have been like me. Like, you believe that prayers are answered. In fact, you believe so heavily in it that you look for those answers immediately. You walked into church today. God, I hope it's a good day. If it's a bad day and you want me to go somewhere else, would you let me know? The moment you said amen, you said, man, Lord, the pastor rolled his sleeves up. How irreverent. Praise Jesus, you answered my prayer. Listen, God doesn't want the credit for your handiwork. Amen? God doesn't want the credit. Some of us, it's the first thought that comes in our mind. I really believe the enemy is right there when we pray. And he knows that we are so battle-weary that the first thing we, that pops in our mind, we believe, is from the Lord. Have you ever had that? Father God, it's been such a difficult day. I'm tired of fighting this battle at work. I'm just worn out. Lord, could you answer my prayer for strength? Right when you say amen, you think, you know what? I need to leave my wife and my family and be by myself for a few days, and if I don't come back, that's all right. You know what, God? Thanks for understanding. You're so good, God. God does not want credit for work he didn't do. Amen? I mean, process that for just a second. Do you think the teacher who made the test is trying to cheat off the kid who didn't study and has no idea what class they're in? 
There ain't no way. Yet we find ourselves being often in prayer as the one who offers the prayer, the one who comes up with the idea or the answer to the prayer, and we make the plan to execute our prayer. We battle, but not with God. You see, today what we're going to look at is how the war we're in is real, is that there really is a war. Let's see if I can spell that right. That there really is a war. We also are going to look at, at where the war is fought. And then we're going to talk about how we fight it. Because maybe today you have forgotten that the battle and the enemy has not stopped fighting. You see, the people of God felt like that in Judges chapter 3. Like he had stopped. The problem is he never stopped. Listen to what Jesus said. In John chapter 16, verse 33, it says, I have told you these things that you may have peace. Listen to what he says. I've told you this so that you may have peace. In this life you will have trouble. I've told you this so you may have peace. In this life you will have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. You see, if you or I think that the goal in this life is to live a trouble-free life where the enemy is not attacking, where he's not coming after us, then we have missed the promise and the peace of God that has overcome the trouble that we will face. Peter says this in 1 Peter, Be sober, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking somebody to devour. Church, what was true in Genesis chapter 3 was true in Judges chapter 6, was true in Daniel chapter 6, and is true today. And this is the reality, that our war exists because we have an enemy who has not stopped. Have you been aware of that? I want you to look at these two lives. First, turn with me to the book of Judges. This is what the Bible says. It says in Judges chapter 6, verse 25 and 26, some things are going on in Gideon's life. Let me give you a little backstory to it. Daniel, we know, is in captivity. But Gideon lives in the oppressed Israel. The Midianites and everybody else are taking advantage of them. There's not one single person who is not taking advantage of Israel. And here's what it looks like. When spring comes, when the crops are, are huge and flourishing, the other nations are coming in. They are taking all of the food and leaving none for Israel who grew it. So they are now hiding in mountains and trying to hide the crops because they are being so amazingly crushed. So amazingly crushed that they do not have an answer. So, so I want you to know that, first of all, the enemy is at war. Verse 1 through 10. I'm sorry, I put you in the wrong place. It says, The people of God did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hand of Midians for seven years. Go all the way down to verse 10. The Lord God said, I am the Lord God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose lands you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. You see, the people of God forgot that they were at war with the enemy. The people of God had forgotten 
that there was someone out there whom they needed an overcomer to take care of. Now you might be thinking, how did they forget? If they're being raided like this day in and day out, how did they forget that they had an enemy out there? Because they forgot their victor. You see, they'd stop taking their prayers to God. They'd stop bringing their life to God. They'd stop laying it down. And God said, you don't need to fear because I'm with you, but you have not obeyed my voice. In the midst of all of these things, you're being devoured, not because you're oblivious to your pain, but you're being devoured because you have forgotten your victor. Church, have you forgotten your victor today? Maybe the season that you're in has gone so long in life that you've stopped believing that there's a victor. Maybe you've been so damaged or hurt. Maybe, maybe it's just the, the COVID bug. Maybe it's, it's the struggles in your, your marriage. Maybe it's a trial or an addiction, whatever it is. And you have just fallen into the belief that you are stuck with it because you have not tasted victory. Church, this morning what I want you to know is the only reason believers in Christ do not live in victory is because we have forgotten our victor and we have not obeyed his voice. Now I want you to change that with Daniel. Daniel's life is very different. In Daniel chapter 6, verse 1 through 3, this is what happens. Daniel's still in Babylon. He's still in captivity. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom and over them three presidents of whom Daniel was one to whom the satraps should give account so that the king might suffer no loss. Then Daniel became distinguished above all the other presidents, all the satraps because of the excellent spirit that was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Man, Daniel's in a different kind of battle. You might be saying, he's not in the promised land, but he's living the promised life. He's being elevated. He's being elevated to a president. Do you know what the president's job was? These three presidents in Babylon over the city in this region? To hold other people accountable. Now listen, would you raise your hand if you say, I love it when people hold me accountable when I do wrong. It's my favorite. Nobody. No, yet nobody likes that guy. Nobody is out there asking for that over and over and over and over again. When your wife cooks something or your husband cooks something and they say, taste this. I'm not sure how good it is. What they're asking you for is accountability. Don't answer. It's a trap. Right? Because nobody likes the person who's there to hold them accountable. Yet it would need it. Because you see, the job of the satraps was to take in tribute. That was their job. And when they took in tribute, sometimes they could skim a little bit off the top. In other words, they could waste a little bit on themselves and still give the king plenty of glory. And it was Daniel's job to make sure that they didn't get a little extra on the side. And so they devised a plan to devour him. You see, Daniel was well aware, living in Babylon, that they were waiting to devour him in the same way 
that he had heard in the time of Gideon that the enemy of God was waiting to devour him. Church, if you and I are going to move any further, if we're going to know victory, then we have to be aware that there really is an enemy who wants to devour you, 1 Peter chapter 5. That there really is an enemy who wants to still kill and destroy. Because if we get settled and believe that victory, the way the scripture talks about, is not possible, the enemy has already won. So we have to believe that there is a battle to fight. The second thing is we have to know where to start fighting. I don't know about you, but have you ever started the fight at the wrong place? Have you ever, have you ever started a fight in the middle of a fight? Here's what I mean by that. And, and after I tell you, maybe you'll, maybe you'll find yourself in this box with me. Have you ever done something wrong? Put your hand up if you've ever done something wrong. You're either dead or lying. Have you ever done something wrong? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've all done something wrong. But when someone has told you you've done something wrong, has anyone ever maybe tried to redirect and told them what they did wrong too? Has anyone ever decided to pick a fight in the middle of a fight? Now, we all know why we do that, amen? It's to protect our sin. That's why we pick a fight in the middle of a fight, because we protect our own sin. That is not a path to victory, amen? I mean, note to self, this has never happened at our home, for real. But if, but if your wife says, you're getting a little fat, and you say, well, you're getting a little, you know, don't even go further. You know what I'm saying? Like, she's just telling you, I want you to live longer. There's, there's no reason when we come back, then we've forgotten where the battle's supposed to begin. So we have to know where the first battle is. Look in Judges chapter 6, verse 25. This is what the Bible says. It says, after Gideon was called, the Lord at the night, the Lord said to him, take your father's bull and the second bull seven years old and put it on the altar of Baal that your father has and cut down the Ashereth that is beside it and build an altar to the Lord your God on top of the stronghold here with the stones laid under in due order. Then take the second bull and offer the burnt offering on the wood of the Asherah that you've cut down. Verse 27 says, So Gideon took his servants and his men and did what the Lord had told him. And he did it at night because he was afraid of the men of the town. You see, let me tell you what happened. <clears throat> Gideon's father had built an idol to Baal in his backyard. And God had just told Gideon, Hey, listen, you're going to go and you're going to fight battles for me. You're going to go and you're going to free God's people. You're going to go and be the deliverer that everyone's looking for. He's already shared all of this. And Gideon's a little anxious, and he says, Okay, God, what do you want me to do? He says, The battle doesn't begin miles away. The battle begins in your backyard. Sometimes that's a scary battle to fight, isn't it? We want to look over it. Has anyone ever not shared Jesus Christ with a relative because you didn't want to ruin your relationship? 
Has anyone ever allowed someone to, to go on a self-destructive spin because it hurt too much to tear down the, the idol of Baal that was in your backyard? You were afraid of the consequences. You see, we're very ready to go show the battle to the stranger on the street. We're amazingly ready to go to the battle that's in a different city and pray and go serve in the battle that's in a different country. But here's what God says to Gideon. The battle that is first fought is the one that's in your backyard. You cannot be a servant and a warrior for the Most High with the idol of Baal in your heart. You will not win. You'll, you will be overcome. Church, right now you're thinking, God, where are you? God, why have you forgotten me? Look at verse 13 in chapter 6 of Judges. <clears throat> this is what the Bible says. Gideon talked to the Lord, and Gideon said this, Please, sir, if the Lord is with us, then why has all of this happened to us? What he's really saying is, why has this happened to me? Where are the wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now, but now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hands of the Midians and the Midianites. You see, Gideon says to the angel, when the Lord, he says, the Lord is with you. He says, where is God? Have you ever had that moment? <clears throat> Have you ever had that moment of, of where is God? That moment of, God, if you're so great, if you love me so much, if your plan is that wonderful, where are you? I'm fighting your battle with my children. I'm fighting your battle with my spouse. I'm fighting for your name at my workplace. I am fighting for your name in my schools. Where is the God who works wonders because I haven't seen him? And the angel's looking you square in the eye, and he's just pointing his head. You've got an idol to another God in your backyard. The Lord will not give you victory while you protect that idol. I don't care who built it. I don't care how long it's been there. I don't care how you've justified it. Tear it down. And don't you dare leave the city until it's torn down. Church, I have watched how believers in Jesus Christ have been fighting battles for our country, especially during this season we're in. And you know what I'm witnessing? The Lord has a great need for us to learn how to war again because we are slap happy with everybody else's idols and unwilling to address the idol in our heart and so we have no victory and we testify not to the God we worship but to the idol in our backyard because our actions give it glory instead of the almighty God church this is what Gideon found out but it's what Daniel knew. Daniel chapter 6, verse 5 says this. It says they were looking for things and saw ground to complain against him. Verse 5 says, Then the men said, 
we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. You see, what Daniel knew as a seasoned man in Christ and God was this, that his faithfulness at home gave him victories away from home. They knew. They had no grounds to come after him. They knew as much as they tried. His witness was too strong. Why? Because he was so faithful to his God. They said, here's the problem. He is so faithful to God. He has victories when he's losing. He is so faithful to God. He is a captive slave in this society. And yet he still has victory. There is no way to make this man lose unless we change the law to make him put an idol in his backyard. Wouldn't that be wonderful to be our testimony, church? Wouldn't that be a, a, an altar to Jesus Christ that we can say, my backyard and my heart is free from any idol and is only a place for my Lord? Wouldn't it be amazing if the men and women who walk the halls of Congress who, who claim Christ, we didn't have to make half-hearted excuses for saying, well, they're just people, they're just men. Wouldn't it be great if the pastors in this world, we didn't have to make excuses for them every time someone falls and say they're just men. Wouldn't it be great if everyone who carried the handle of Christ at work or home, we didn't have to make excuses for because there would be no fault to find in them unless it's associated with their God. Daniel was a real person. Daniel was not perfect. Only Jesus Christ was perfect. Yet he lived so faithfully to God that no fault could be found with him. Timothy would say he was a man above reproach. Church, you and I, if we're going to have victory... We need to have the humiliation that Christ came to give us. Stop putting up defensive walls when accountability comes our way. Stop fighting battles just so that our front porch stays clean. And we've got to be willing to look and make sure that no idols have popped up that we've been protecting. Instead, we want to live in victory before God's people. Psalm chapter 4 verse 8 says this, In peace I lie down and sleep. For you alone, O God, make me dwell in safety. I wonder if that was a prayer of Daniel's. God, in this Babylon that I'm living in, with enemies at every corner, it's in peace that I lie down. It's restful sleep that I get because I dwell in safety because of you. How did Daniel get to such a place? There, there's no secret here that we must be armed with prayer. We must be full up suited in prayer. It doesn't have to be this perfect prayer. Look at Daniel in chapter 6, verse 6 through 9. And it's hard because I know we see Daniel and we think, God, I'm so far from Daniel. That's what we're talking about, Gideon too. Daniel chapter 6, verse 9 says, Then the presidents and the satraps came by agreement to the king 
and said, Darius, live forever. All the presidents of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors, the governors, all agreed that the king should establish an ordinance to enforce an injunction that whoever makes a petition to any god or man except for you, O king, for the next 30 days shall be cast in the den of lions. So the king established the injunction, signed the document, and it can't be changed according to the laws of the Medes and the Persians, but which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and the injunction. Verse 10, look what Daniel did. The moment he found out, when Daniel knew the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber. He opened them toward Jerusalem and he got down on his knees three times a day and he prayed and he gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Isn't that amazing? You see, Daniel finds himself now illegally praying. How does he pray? I thank you, God, for who you are. You see, Daniel's not made an idol of himself. He knows that every step of the way, everything he is, leans on the Lord. He's not focused on the enemy. <clears throat> I was telling Omar, the way I wrote this sermon originally was to focus completely on the enemy's camp. That was the, the way I was going. I wanted you to know everything about the enemy so that you could be ready for him. But the more I read the passage, here's the reality. Daniel doesn't care about the enemy. He knows he's coming, but his eyes are on the victor. Church, when we are in Christ through prayer without ceasing, our eyes stay on the victor. And how much more captivating is it to look at the king than it is the slave in rebellion. Gideon prayed very differently. <clears throat> if you don't know the story of Gideon, he was not raised, obviously, in a household that followed hard after God. He was a little bit shaky. We saw in the beginning he didn't believe God. We saw that he wasn't sure that God would follow through because he'd let him down before. So when God told him to tear down the idol, he did it at night because he was scared, not at a huge faith follower like Daniel. And then God said, after he tore it down, now that you've taken care of the idol in your backyard, now I want you to go down and lead my people to deliver them from the hand of the Midianites. And Gideon says, Lord, I know exactly what you said. I know exactly where you're coming from. Verse 36. But Gideon said to God, if you'll save Israel by my hand, like you said, behold, I'm laying a fleece on the of wool on the threshing floor. If there's dew on the fleece alone and, and it is dry on the ground, I'll know that you'll save them through my hand. The Bible says that the next morning he woke up and the fleece was wet and the ground was dry. And then Gideon said to God in prayer again, God, I am so sorry. God, I'm sorry for lacking faith. But just in case that was an accident, could you make the fleece dry and the ground wet so that I'll know that you're with me? And the next morning, the Lord allowed the fleece to be dry and the ground to be wet. So what did Gideon do? He obeyed the Lord and led his people to victory. Church, it is okay to pray where you are. It is okay to battle with what you have as long as your prayers lead to obedience to God and not your own voice. You don't have to pretend that you're Daniel. 
if you have not been walking faithfully with the Lord, if the Lord is bringing into your mind recently that He has seen the idols in your backyard and you knew they were there, you're just hoping the Lord would allow the victories abroad to make their way home. Maybe you're more like Gideon. Now, don't pervert the goodness of God. Gideon was not testing to figure out what the Lord has said. He wasn't shaking up an eight ball or some other garbage to try to make God come down to him. He knew what the Lord had said. But he claimed in prayer, I don't, I don't have the faith. Give me the faith. And when the Lord answered, he obeyed. Church, this morning, are you battling in prayer and living in obedience? Or are you speaking prayers and living for what you desire? That's not where victory lies. God has greater plans for you. He has a greater hope for you. So you have to know the enemy hasn't stopped. But you have to be aware the battle starts here, not there. And your weapon is prayer. And your strength is obedience. The disciples knew this. And so they asked Jesus in Luke, Lord, teach us how to pray. And Luke, the shortened version. Father, your name is holy. You're my victor. That's what that means. It's all about your kingdom. Your kingdom come. It's not about my backyard. It's about your kingdom. So it's about your holiness and your kingdom. It's about your will. Let me live obediently to your will and forgive me when I fall. Church, that's how we battle. Not for a moment, but every step of the way in victory. In this world, you will have trouble. But Jesus says, I have overcome the world. Believe in your victor. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for the truth that you share with us. God, I think we may have forgotten how to war. I think we might have thought that battles are only fought abroad. Lord, in this room, God, on this screen, God, I believe, I know, God, there are people who love you that have idols in their heart that have to be torn down. In fact, God, they've been trying in their own strength to tear them down. But they have not surrender to their victor. So Father God, right now, would you, would you turn their heart to you? Allow them to be on their knees, Lord, and obedient with the strength of the risen King, tearing down these altars so that they can be the warriors for you. Father God, in this room are also faithful men and women who have been fighting battles in your name. Father God, I pray that you would be their encouragement in Babylon. Lord, that you would not let them grow weary, that you would not let them grow discouraged, but instead, God, that they would be a light.
for the holy name of Jesus Christ and a testimony to his power. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.